When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he thinks that the theme song for the next Ixalan set should be turned down for Whatley. It's Matt Morgan. So it was dinner time and my partner asked, have you seen the dog bowl? And I said, I didn't know he did. Hey! <laughs> Uh, surprise verbs are a really classic brand of dad jokes, and they I are. really appreciate that. That's great. <laughs> and and really, it kind of like bowling. It's all in the delivery. <laughs> nice. Very nice. All right. Up next, he's never going to not call it murders at Markov Manor. It's Dana Roach. I'm still trying to get over the uh, twin dinosaur card that we got previewed today. Um, Paradactyls is a really cool card, and I'm looking forward to playing <laughs> I do like dactyls. And, and a pair of them is even better. Oh, yeah. no. You guys you are too You want one, silly. you want two. <laughs> That's absolutely terrific. All right, Dana, what are we talking about on this week's show, man? We are going to be talking about decks we took apart. Ones that didn't make the cut, or at least didn't make it for very long. Yeah, yeah. We had these maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, but eventually they hit our commander deck graveyard. And we want to talk about why that might be. It should be pretty interesting, but we've got some shout outs to do before we hop to our main topic. First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurve, for their help in editing the show. You can find them on the interwebs at Manicurves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking this video on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe in your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to join our Discord community, you want to see all the episodes a day early, there's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, including the weekly patron shout out, which this week we're going to give to Tony Gray, who... There was no gray area. This was a very easy <laughs> choice. And Tony went to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast and signed up. And we just appreciate that support. We we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be able to go to events and see all of you fine people if it weren't for our patrons. Yeah, that's so true. I'm <laughs> I'm glad that, Matt, whenever you make a dad joke, you don't leave it like uh, an issue of it. Is it black and white? You always make sure that it's in that gray zone, as you mentioned 
My jokes aren't nearly as good as yours. I, I'm a thinker. I use my gray gray matter in the brain. <laughs> you never run out of dad jokes about these, do you? I, right. I do eventually, but it, today is not that day. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I I don't think that there is a that day. I think that you will like the dad jokes will last into perpetuity. Let's just be honest. They will they will outlast us. <laughs> they will they will outlast the heat death of the universe. Well, I know what didn't outlast everything. That's the decks we're going to talk about today. <laughs> How's yeah. that for a segue to challenge the stats? No, no, we're segue to the main topic yet. We're not getting <laughs> to right. challenge the stats yet. That's <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, let's talk about those decks that we took apart. And you know what, Matt? I'll actually start us off here because I took apart a deck pretty recently that uh, I had for a really long time. It was a character that I really, really loved, but it was my feather deck. And I've actually gotten a lot of feedback from folks in our audience who were like really sad that I took this deck apart. Um, and I guess to just immediately hop to why did I take this deck apart? It's just because it was such a linear experience where every single turn I was casting exactly the same spells over and over again. And I don't know if you guys have had a deck like that where it started to feel like the novelty really, really wore off. But that was one that I recently took apart because I just I, I really wanted more variety than it turned out that commander was able to offer me with the way that I had wanted to build it initially. So that's my first foray into this one. Well, and playing against that deck too, your, your feather deck, Joey, playing against it, the play pattern was kind of the same too. I mean, I remember Dan and I would be talking. And it's yeah. OK, well, did Joey on tap? Yes. Well, we're just not going to kill Feather then. Right. That was kind of the, how the deck played out was it was very predictable. We, we If we didn't counter or kill Feather pretty much immediately, we knew that there was no going back. And so I, I playing against it, if that's repetitive, I can only imagine actually piloting the deck, how linear that plays out literally every single game. Yeah, and I love the design on her, and the, I love the character especially, but it just it did start to wear a little bit on me, and eventually I was just like, you know what, I haven't played this one in so long, let me just, I, I took it apart to see whether or not I would mind and whether I would like have a, an aching like, oh no, I actually do miss that deck, and I haven't had that aching, I haven't felt the desire to come bring it back, unfortunately. Well, and there's a lot of different things that can like be a you know, quote-unquote problem with the commander deck, and you can overcome them, or maybe those things that are problems are actually things you enjoy. Um, and, and in this case, though, you were stacking multiple things. You were stacking the fact that your feather deck probably looked like almost every other feather deck, just sure. by virtue of how feather plays. So, so you didn't have anything about it that probably felt special. And maybe that isn't important to you, but like for some people, that's that's a ding against the deck. You talked about how it played very linear when you were actually playing it. So, like it, the the play pattern was repetitive, and it also created that thing where like. It felt like your opponents had to either remove you from the game or they lost. Mm. And again, that's maybe something that like, I, I want to deal with that arch enemy thing. Maybe that's fun too. But you're stacking multiple things together. And like, if you don't like any of them, let alone one of them or two of them, um, it, it's just a recipe for a deck not working when there's multiple things that make you not really enjoy playing it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Any one of those things can be a seed that eventually grows into a lot of frustration. And you're right, there were a lot of different variables that mm -hmm. it, it just kind of lined up with that one. And let's also be honest, the number of times that I was able to like blink a Dockside Extortionist by using like a Cloud Shift spell that would keep coming back to my hand... I can't imagine that my opponents were really grinning from ear to ear every time that they saw that in a whole bunch of games either. But that begs the question, like that was a really highly linear deck for me. Did either of you guys have a deck that you took apart because of a linear experience too, or was it something else entirely? So I did, and 
I took this deck apart before it got banned, but I used to have a Leovold Emissary of Trest deck. And <laughs> I, I played it twice, but same as you, Joey, with Feather, I realized, oh, this just, this isn't what I'm looking for. It's going to be the exact same thing every single time. Uh, so for the 74 of you out there that still apparently have a Leovold deck that are just showing up <laughs> on EDH rec, um, don't. <laughs> Please, for the sake of your friends. But yeah, that deck was... So I played it one game as that Leovold deck where you're playing stuff like, I don't know, the, the, the Teferi's puzzle boxes and all the wheel effects. There's there's stuff like that that make it unfun to play against. And then I tried to make it a multicolors matters type of Voltron deck. And even then, that was too good because just the protection that Leovold has built in, the fact that people want to draw cards. Turns out people like to draw cards. And if you stop them from doing that, they don't enjoy that. So... Leovold kind of did the exact same thing as you kind of pr- could have predicted it does. It it was not fun to play against. It was not fun to play with. And it did not live very long. Um, I, I think I talked about this at one point in time when we just have discussed this, you know, lightly in the past was I had a Yassan Wanderer Bard deck that I took apart. Um, but I guess the greater point I would make is it hasn't happened to me since then. And that was, you know, eight or nine years ago. And I think that's why, on a higher level, this show was kind of useful, I think, to listeners. Because I've learned that lesson. (laughs) I did that one time, and I had that deck that played in a really linear fashion, and I didn't enjoy it. So now it's the kind of thing I look for when I'm brewing. So one of the first, like, I'm just immediately aware of it, and I, I haven't repeated that mistake, really, because it's something I'm paying attention to. So... That's one of the reasons I, I liked this as a show topic was hopefully because I've learned lessons from doing it. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of hoping this will be useful to our listeners. Like, oh, this is something I should pay attention to, too, because I wouldn't enjoy that if my deck did that. So I'll keep an eye out for that when I'm mm. testing up some brews. No, that's a really good point. And I think it isn't also immediately obvious. There have been certain mm-hmm. decks that I've built where I'm surprised by the fact that I enjoyed them. Like I got a uh, Barakos and Fulkiro uh, party time pre-con and I was not initially like, oh, this is the thing that I'm certainly going to enjoy. But I played it a couple of times and I was really enamored by it, particularly because it offers variety. Every turn I'm like, ooh, how can I actually get the whole party of a wizard and a rogue and a cleric and all of that? How can I get that together? And so it kept me entertained precisely because every turn was different every turn was non-linear figuring out those little puzzles was fun and you didn't just get a, a different type of experience in the game you also got a different type of experience every single turn and i really really enjoyed that experience and it was a stark contrast to what i had experienced with feather and you don't always notice those things right away they're not like necessarily the forefront of your mind but they can play a really big uh, effect on how much you are actually enjoying that deck I got to go back to the Leovold example, though, Matt, that you brought up, because, I mean, another big thing in addition to that Leovold one, it wasn't just that the deck is linear, but a big thing that you cited there was like the way that it affected your opponents too. your opponents weren't having a good time. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you were like, you know what, I'm probably going to axe this one. And I've got a lot of decks that I took apart for that reason too. Like I had a car door deck for a while that I would constantly sacrifice and bring back with a bunch of those black immediately hit the field again spells or I would make temporary copies of it with my red spells that would trigger the enters the battlefield effect so that I could never be hit. And I'd load it up with a bunch of planeswalkers because when all those creatures have to attack other players, they can't hit my planeswalkers. And I was like, tee I'm so evil. Look at me doing this stuff. And you guys hated playing against that one for good reason because it was miserable. So yeah, I asked that one as well because my opponents weren't having fun with it and if my opponents aren't having a good time 
I'm not going to have a good time either. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, has at some point in time had a deck that was the type of deck we, we like to say, build decks that you, w- you would play to get you invited back to that table. Mm. We've all had decks that didn't do that. And so, yeah, like Dana said before, we've learned some of those lessons where you have the Carter deck where I love the combat step and telling me what to do in the combat step is taking away from my agency as a person. And I didn't like that, Joey. So <laughs> that's why, yes, the playing against Carter was, it was frustrating because it, it forced your opponents to solve the puzzle that you gave them, but you didn't give them all the pieces. And so there's always going to be decks like that. Like I, like I said, my Leovold deck, I gave my friends a puzzle and said, solve this. And by the way, I'm going to stop you from putting two pieces together ever. Yeah. Those are the types of experiences that I, 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 looking back, it's easy to understand why. But also, that deck came about, it's been at least 10 years now, I want to say, pushing uh, whenever Conspiracy first came out, you know, 2015 or so. But in information just back then, we didn't, th- this podcast didn't exist back then. It's hard, it's weird to say. But information, was so much harder to get around. And so it was kind of a wild west of, well, is this fun? Yes, no, maybe, whatever. And so, yeah, the fact that like I was coming to that on my own was kind of a success. And I took the deck apart before it got banned. Well, I, I have one here I can volunteer that I've I, I've taken out behind the, um, the barn. Oh, I don't like that wording at all, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. I think I've used that analogy before and you didn't like it last time either. <laughs> So, so I built a um, Anex Hardened in the Forge deck. Um, Anex is a, a commander that cares about your devotion to red. And like, oh, well, I, I'm just going to play this. And I'm going to put no incense or sorceries in the deck. And everything is going to be a permanent that like buffs Anex's power. Um, that seemed like it would be an interesting brew. The, the problem I ran into there was red kind of plays, tends to play as an aggro color by swinging at you quickly, powerfully, punching people in the face. Mm. So I was just doing the thing Red already does, but I was doing it in a way that like really limited my ability to take advantage of those colors. So I felt like I was playing a kind of typical Red deck with a bunch of speed bumps in the way that made it unenjoyable. So, so my takeaway from that was if I'm going to do something specific like that, I need to do it in a way that wouldn't just be a limited version of something that already exists. So I wound up switching that deck with a year or two later and basically used the same concept to make a, a, a Caliph, Beloved of the Sea deck, that's a, basically a blue devotion deck that also has no instant or sorcery spells. But in blue, where you're not known for playing aggro or swinging at people for command damage, and where you are known for playing instants and sorceries, that's a much more interesting way to play that than it was playing Anax as just a worse version of what that deck already wanted, what Model Red always want, already wants to do. Did you say Caliph? Demon Caliphy? They're all made up words, Joey. <laughs> they, they are indeed made up words, quite literally. I've just, I feel like we're maybe having another obliute thing. <laughs> That's a real word, at least, that I, that I got wrong. <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. Okay, yeah, but like that was a, a thing that you were trying to get in line in one color, and it was just a little bit. This actually turns out to be classic, and it's not doing the thing that you wanted that felt more novel or as a surprise in terms of like the way the deck was built with that restriction. Mm-hmm. And literally just switching the color actually managed to pull it off for you in a better way. 
Yeah, much better way. Yeah, like it felt like I was trying to play a a like I wanted to play a goblin deck and red, but I'm like I'm just gonna do it with kobolds instead. That would just be frustrating because you're just playing a like sure. significantly worse version of what you could be playing, and that's what the red version felt like. The blue version doesn't feel that way. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I, I think I had a somewhat similar experience. I, I when Shorakai Genesis Engine came out, that's the one that can. It's the, the the Azorius vehicle makes pilots, but it also has a really potent draw and discard ability. For a bit of a meme, I was like, "Ooh, can I make a non-black reanimator deck?" And so I did. And I would discard these huge sphinxes and angels into the graveyard and bring them back with white reanimation spells, which are all four mana. Um, and it did just kind of feel like I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I did make a non-black reanimator deck, but I'm also just hampering the thing that makes reanimator good. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so it just, I, I didn't keep that one for very long because I was just kind of like, I mean, yeah, like in theory it works, but I, if I wanted to actually just play reanimator, which it's me and I do, then eventually I switched it over to Vohar because that just like got the, the engine chugging a whole lot faster and the black reanimation spells are the classic ones for a reason. So I guess like this is kind of a case of like, those meme decks were never dream decks, I guess, might be the way that we phrase it. <laughs> I mean, I, I've had kind of a similar experience where I was doing something, but I wasn't really doing it in the, the right colors and I was just kind of handicapping myself. But I had an Alibu deck, which it came in the, the Lorehold Precon, the Boros colors. And it was just kind of a piddly deck. And, and looking back, I think I was just trying to be too cute with the deck and, and mm. making artifacts matter in colors that don't really typically care about artifacts mattering, um, at least not in the way that I was trying to do it. And so I was uh, kind of like what the both of you just talked about. I was kneecapping myself by trying to do something that maybe the commander didn't really care that much about. Uh, I And plus, you know, Smothering Tithe is really good in that deck and all the cards that were really good for that deck that kind of actually made it work, I didn't want to play because I, I was like, I don't really want to play Smothering Tithe. I don't need another deck with that in there. But it turns out when you're already kneecapping yourself, if you refuse to play the powerful cards, right. you just kind of set yourself back in in even more ways than you, you originally anticipated. Right. With that deck, you were trying to get like a bunch of t tapped like treasure tokens and, and and stuff like that, right? Instead of like... I really wanted gear per Aether Grid to be good. And <laughs> you need a lot of artifacts on the battlefield for that to be good. And, and all the cards that make a lot of artifacts, like Smothering Tithe, I didn't want to play because, well, that just feels like easy mode. But I was trying to go easy mode or trying to go hard mode for a card that already is hard mode. Well, and I think the unusuality of that, like that's one of the things that makes it appealing in the first place. Sort of like Dana, you were talking about, you know, that Caliph deck that you were doing. <laughs> like there was something unusual that you were aiming for. And that can, in fact, be pretty difficult to pull off. But then also just like there's some commanders where the design itself feels like wow, you're really asking me to sign up for a whole lot of stuff here, aren't you? Like, I used to have a Lazav Demir Mastermind deck, for instance, and that one was pretty tough because, like, you're, the goal was to mill out a whole bunch of other players to find good creatures in the graveyard that Lazav could then become a copy of. And I was like, ooh, if I mill an Avacyn, that'll be great. But most of the folks I was playing against weren't playing stuff like Avacyn, so, like, I would, like, just be milling and milling and filling their graveyards, and then I would find, like, mm -hmm. sometimes an Orin Frostfang or whatever, but, like, it was never, like, a truly compelling baddie that I was, like, oh, excited to steal from my opponents. And not only that, but the mill strategy in particular was just filling up my opponent's graveyards for them to abuse with Mizzix's masteries and things like that. So... The restraints or the hard mode, quote unquote, that was like implicit to that commander wasn't apparent at first. But in playing it, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, dang, 
uh, I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew, and I'm actually just like feeding my opponent stuff that they can use against me just so I can try and become a copy of something cool. And and yeah, so that deck didn't last a whole lot of time, really. Yeah, I had a Lazav deck for a short period of time, too, and I, I took it apart. I tried playing it as a Voltron deck. Um, the problem I had there was then I felt like I was just playing a vanilla commander with Hexproof. <laughs> and that was it, because I wasn't really using the the mill abilities. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll try to do some mill stuff. I won't, I won't worry about milling folks out, but I'll like try to get a little bit of value and you know hit something big to actually make Lazav more useful. And, and again, same exact problem. I felt like, okay, I, I was running cards in my deck that just served to set up other people by putting things in their yard that they could probably use better than me. Right. Yeah, occasionally I'd hit like, an, you know, I don't know if I ever hit an Avacyn, but like occasionally I hit something useful, but way more often I just look over at a couple of mana dorks in their graveyard and see a bunch of other spells that they now had access to flashback or, or, or delve away or whatever it wound up being. Like it, it just wound up, I either had wasted text on the card that I felt like I was paying for and not using, or when I used it, it didn't help me. It just helped everybody else. Yeah, yeah, and and before that, I had also tried uh, that pile of cards as a Geth Lord of the Vault deck, which has an ability to mill your opponents and steal their stuff. But like, good lord, he costs a lot of mana, and so does his ability. And like, it's again feeding your opponents. And it also, I had tried out Rexiel, the Risen Deep, which can steal spells from your opponent's graveyard. But every time that I would mill them, they would Eternal Witness and get the spell I wanted back before I could take it. And I was just like, dang it. So like again, it was just those things never quite lined up the way that I had been hoping that they would, because there's just a, a, a bit of a challenge there. Well, yeah, I mean, Rexiel's what, seven mana, eight mana, something very expensive. Feels like it at the very least. I think it's six. I think it's six, it's all, but it feels like it, much it, more. It feels like it's so much more, maybe just because Rexiel's such a yeah. such a big boy. <laughs> but yeah, any of those commanders that are just super expensive to cast, they have to have a massive and kind of immediate impact these days in order to really mm. be worth playing. And so I don't blame you, Joey, because I remember wanting to build Rexiel, but I just never got around to it. And now... I, you you would get laughed at if you tried to play a six mana commander that didn't do anything until the next turn. And we we talk about how in standard you have to play something aggressive. Like if you play a, a five mana creature, for example, if it has to do anything or if it has to survive until you untap to do anything good, it's probably not going to be very good. It's same thing for commander. Like if you're playing something big and expensive, it, Dana doesn't want to play anything that doesn't affect the board unless it does something right away. And so. If that's in your command zone, I understand why you don't want to play that commander. Yeah, which is a shame because, like, again, those are cards that, like, oh, I'm, I'm excited about them. These abilities read is very interesting, but, like, actually maneuvering to get all of those things to line up never could quite make it. So, uh, ultimately, I had to dismantle those just like I have to dismantle your ability to segue into challenge the stats <laughs> because I'm going to do it instead this week. You got it. He made, he made it happen. I made it happen. Matt is so expressionless right now. He's so unenthused. He's just like <laughs> Joey. Joey, you broke up for a second. You 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 disappeared for about 10, 15 seconds. <laughs> oh, what, are you saying that the call dropped so this doesn't count? <laughs> what doesn't count? <laughs> no, no, I will not let you take this away. I, from I don't me. know what you're talking about, but this would be a really good time for challenges stats. I bet. <laughs> so let's just cut right here. Dana, Dana, did you hear what he said? Because I, I didn't. He froze up for me too. Oh, okay. oh my goodness. Well, since Joey's not here to do it, let's move on and challenge stats. There's lots of stats on EDH Rec, and we don't always agree with them. So let's take a quick break and then get right back into challenge stats. That's amazing, Matt. Honestly, what a power move. I love you. <laughs> 
All right, I'll start us off with challenge to stats this week. And my challenge is in honor of the upcoming Ixalan set. We know that we're going back to that plane and that was a wonderful plane full of dinosaurs and pirates and all of that. So I wanted to take a look at Gishath, which is a very famous dinosaur commander, super, super popular. And since, you know, there's gonna be a whole bunch of new dinosaurs, we wanna be pretty critical of which dinosaurs are actually making it into that deck these days. And that has me a little bit critical of one that's showing up in 37% of Gishath decks, and that's the Tarrasque. Man, I just, I feel like the design on this card, they just dropped the ball in nearly every way. This is the 9-mana 10-10. It has haste and ward 10 as long as it was cast, which Gishath won't cast it, so you're not going to get that buff. And whenever the Tarrasque attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. Just not super compelling. If you want to do fight stuff, you can already play Apex Altasaur in that deck. If you want a big creature, I mean, Titanoth Rex would be an 11-11 with Trample that you could play in this slot instead, potentially. I think the Tarrasque is uh, its a cool legendary thing in D&D. I don't think it translated well to the magic experience. So even though it is a big famous dinosaur, if you are playing Gishath, I think that this is probably one that you can skip and cut to make room for other exciting dinos that are coming out in the future instead. So that is my overplay challenge for your dino decks. Sorry, Tarrasque, but we're going to have Tarrasque you to leave. Um, I, I've got a, a new card, actually. It's from the uh, the Wildsville Drain set. And so it's there's a reason it's only in about a thousand decks because it's relatively new. But there's a lot of cards from Wildsville Drain that are in way more decks than that. I think people aren't playing Extraordinary Journey nearly enough. Mm. And I kind of accidentally found out this card was good. I, I mentioned my my Calafay deck for you there, Joey. I'll, I'll, I'll change the pronunciation <laughs> for you. Um, and not running against the sorceries. So I have a limited amount of ways to deal with problems. I would much prefer to run Rapid Hybridization, but like I am attempting to to run a blue deck with none of those things. So Extraordinary Journey, Journey I thought, would be one of my ways to deal with creatures in blue, I would have this enchantment that comes into play. It's, it costs two blue and XX. When it comes into play, exile up to X target creatures. And for each of those cards, its owner may play it for as long as it remains exiled. And then it says whenever one or more non-token creatures enters the battlefield, if one or more of them entered from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. I thought I was running this card for the first paragraph where I could use it to get rid of something that was a problem. Um, however, I wound up casting it on turn two one game where X was zero just because I wanted to play my commander the next turn and immediately have like my devotion up to four. And I, I looking at what was in my hand, I was like, okay, I, I can get Calafay really big really quickly. And then I drew six cards off over the course of like the next five turns. Nice. And so I've done it a second time now, cast it on turn two for the just the two blue mana and again drew like half a dozen cards. Um, we just got a bunch of Doctor Who decks that are filled with suspend and cascade and adventure mechanics. Mm. We just got some Ixalan new cards previewed that have um, Discover, which is basically a cascade mechanic, as well as a brand new Blink commander. Blink is a really popular strategy. There's so many things that cause creatures to enter from exile that just playing this as a two-mana way to draw cards when that occurs has been fantastic for me, let alone the fact that you can once in a while use it to deal with a problem. Um, so I don't think you want to run this in, you know, maybe your Azorius deck that's got a ton of answers, but if you're playing in some color combination that doesn't have a ton of answers, or you want enchantments out there, or 
you know, need devotion, whatever. Extraordinary Journey is a really good card just as a draw engine, let alone as a way to solve problems. And it should see more play, I think. Yeah, cosine. This is one I've been eyeing, and I've been kind of like mentally noting any times that this would trigger, or uh, Aerial Extortionist is another pretty similar one. And I've seen that pop up in a few games here and there. Mm -hmm. And it is surprising how much more those things trigger than you would first expect when you initially read them. Yeah. So I really like this challenge. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, well, I'll wrap us up then with my challenge. So my challenge actually is a listener submitted challenge. So Angela Booher sent us an email, which you can do edhretcast at gmail.com. And it had one that just tugs at my heartstrings specifically. So uh, Angela said, my challenge this week is for Descendants Fury and Raga Draga Gorgut's boss decks. And there we go, Raga Draga, I'm on board. Uh, so specifically, those decks running Eldrazi tokens, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, <laughs> Angela, I also have the deck and I love it. Um, but I believe it is seriously underplayed as there are only two decks currently showing up that are running Descendants Fury. And so for those of you who don't know, Descendants Fury is an enchantment that came out in the Sliver pre-constructed deck uh, with Commander Masters. And it says, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice one of them. And if you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature. Put that card on the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So Angela goes on to say, I love a good beater card, and this has potential to be a very good card to cheat in big stompy boys, which Raga Draga will pump up your tokens, ensuring they can get damage through. And then best case scenario, you sack a spawn or a scion token, and you flip into something very big and similar, like a Desolation Twin maybe. Worst case, you flip it into an Eldrazi that's running ETB triggers that's going to make you more Eldrazi scions and spawns that Raga Draga will then buff up also works nice as a sack outlet for blister pod and other ways to just sacrifice creatures for value and since it's an enchantment you can rinse and repeat each turn so i love this i i have thought about putting descendants fury into my raga draga deck specifically but even if you're not like the two of us you know geniuses really that are playing eldrazi scions in raga draga decks you can do this in i mean if you look at the typical page for Raga Draga, there's a lot of elf synergies going on there. So if you're attacking and you sacrifice an elf, you can flip into an even bigger elf. You can churn through your deck. You can cheat some things into play. And I love the combat step. I love cheating things into play. So really, what's not to like here? It's, it's only in 4,600 decks total right now, which is kind of silly. But yeah, if, if you're playing any specific creature type theme in any aggressive deck, it's probably worth looking at. Okay, first of all, Matt, the self-aggrandizement of you calling your, yourself genius. <laughs> just like, No, I, I said Angela was the genius. You said both, uh, but mm -hmm. can't boo that. That's a really good suggestion for that deck. It's a There's a, a lot of specificity to the way that you guys are building that one, but like this just speaks to really good experience with that commander and unlocking something really cool, and frankly, I'd be really excited to see that across the field. So there won't be any booing from me, I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, we're not booing Angela or this challenge. It's, it's, it's a really good one. I'll, I'll boo you because you called yourself a genius <laughs> just calling it like i see it joy speaking of calling it like i see it let's just get back to the main topic because i see <laughs> we have some good decks to talk about <laughs> all right show notes. that that one needed a bit more apply yourself matt apply yourself <laughs> um but yeah we can get back to talking about some of those decks that uh have wound up in our commander graveyard and you know what okay i just said graveyard there i will bring up this one, this one hurt my heart a bit, but I mean, I did take apart my Marin deck, which I had had ever since it came out, basically, like the year that it came out. Initially, I was trying with Mazarek when that uh, pre-con first came out, but then I switched over to Marin and it was just like, the Necromancy is strong with this one. 
And I, I loved it. I loved reviving fleshbag marauders over and over again to make everyone sacrifice their creatures and spore frogs to make it so that no one could hurt me. But sort of like I was talking about with my Carter deck earlier, you know who didn't love that was my opponents. <laughs> um, and so like, like a really strong deck. And honestly, I miss her really bad. But when Babala Saga came out, obviously I switched over my Golgari deck from one to the other. I do still miss Marin, but the way that I was building it was just not really uh, conducive to other people having a grand old time. And so if I were to ever return to it, that's something I'd really, really need to examine. Because a lot of the best value pieces to return with her over and over again were removal spells. So my deck was just accidentally oops all removal. And that wasn't a really good way for me to go about playing commander as i was optimizing that deck so that is one that i she's in the, the graveyard now maybe one day i'll revive her but it will take some big reconsiderations yeah well, well joey you said oops all removal was kind of the, what that deck turned into so a deck that i took apart that was kind of oops all creatures that would have gotten killed by the removal <laughs> was my old myel the anima deck and that deck I took it apart, and looking back, I don't know why, actually. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I love the deck, and, and looking back, I was like, oh, yeah, that just does all the, th the things that I love to do. And it's honestly, of all the decks we're going to talk about and all the decks I've ever taken apart, it's probably the only one that I would actually put back together. Just because, yeah, it, it does all these things. That, but this was kind of a case of, it kind of just ran its course. It, mm. the, I had the deck for that given time, and that's something that I think folks kind of get in the, the back of their minds is they, they have to take a deck apart because something went wrong. But sometimes just you have a deck and you can enjoy, it, but just maybe you don't have time to play it anymore and something like that. Like it doesn't have to be a, a catastrophic reason you take a deck apart. Just sometimes, yeah, you had it for a season and, and that season's over. And that's kind of what Myel the Anima was for me. Like I, I enjoyed it. I would go back to it, but I just took it apart because it just it wasn't getting the the games played, I guess that I wanted it to be able to have. I, I get that mad about like, it, it doesn't give you the experience you wanted anymore or, or you no longer want that experience that it gives you. Um, my version of that probably is my, one of my oldest decks was my Sagarda Host of Hurons um, Enchantress deck. Mm. Um, and it wasn't so much that the deck didn't give me what I enjoyed anymore. It was because the challenge of getting that thing was no longer a challenge. Uh, when I first put that deck together, we're talking like back in Return to Ravnica era. Um, so the Enchantress effects in that deck, I mean, there was, you know, maybe half a dozen different things. There was a Vajern Enchantress. There was Argoldian Enchantress. There was Mesa Enchantress. There was Enchantress's Presence. Um, Core Spirit Dancer was kind of like half of an Enchantress because it triggered off auras. Um, and then we got Eidolon of Blossoms and Theros. Like, oh my, an another Enchantress. Now there's like six of them in the deck. It's amazing. Um, but I had to like work to get to the point where the, the deck just blew up because you couldn't count on drawing them easily or early every single game. And when I did move myself in a, into a position where I had one or two of them out and was like drawing all of my cards for playing these, en these enchantments, it felt fantastic. <laughs> However, <laughs> we got to a point when they then printed Shram and they then printed Sithis and Seder Enchanter and Citizen Champion and, you know, advantage engines like Archon of Sun's Grace or Siona, Captain of the Pylea. Every single card then got you there. So you just had that engine immediately in your opening hand almost every single time. 
and it no longer felt like you had to play yourself into a position to then have explosive things happening. You just were gifted explosive things happening. And that made it no longer fun for me. So the, the experience, I guess, was the same, but I didn't have to do anything to feel like I earned it, if that makes sense. So would you ever rebuild your Sigarda deck or an Enchantress deck in general? Because I, I don't think that the problems that you had with that are going away anytime soon. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I would try something like, you know, red-blue Enchantress or something if I were to do it, like where the tools weren't there and I felt like I'd have to work to do it again. Hipster! Um, so, so if I did it, I would try something along those lines, but I, I think anything running Celesnia or even half of Celesnia, white or green, there's just so many cards that like get you there that um, in the way Enchantress decks just work, it's really tough to avoid that kind of critical mass where you hit a point where you just draw everything and play all the things and and, and kind of take over the game. Um, it, there's just, I think, too many pieces now for me to like enjoy it the way I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, and what you were seeking there was a little bit more of a challenge. That's why you went with the Sagarda as that commander instead. And so when that challenge was mm -hmm. no longer as present, like Matt was saying, it was a, a season that you moved out of. And Matt, I, I really love the way that you had phrased that of like, yeah. sometimes you just, you have had your experience with that deck and you've learned what you needed to learn from it. Mm -hmm. I think to an extent, I kind of had that experience with my Kaneos and Tiro group hug deck. I, I think that playing group hug was one of the biggest level up moments I've had in like figuring out how to navigate the experience of a multiplayer game. Like that really Really helped to reset my brain and like it, it's a valuable experience for me but i don't need to keep playing it anymore and so i've taken that one apart because i'm just like oh i think i've just kind of moved out of of that phase and i'm glad that i had it and i'm thankful for it and marie kondo i can put it away and thank it for its time but the spark isn't there anymore necessarily <laughs> <laughs> what am i being too cheesy with that i don't think i'm being too cheesy <laughs> no, no no just like the three-year-old reference that's like infinity years old in internet years yeah well and even marie kondo doesn't marie kondo <laughs> like anymore it's just like no clutter is nice sometimes actually um but then dana kind of going off of your point uh like enchantress is very much one of those this can consume a whole lot of time sure and i would almost say like one of the reasons that i haven't built enchantress ever <laughs> for myself is just because like i i'm very self-conscious of the fact that like it feels a little bit more fun to goldfish than it feels to play if that makes any sense um like i had the zafai precon and i was like upgrading that for a while because i was having a lot of fun goldfishing it and then i realized you know what i'm not gonna do is actually play this against other people because when you storm and you take a 15 minute turn and then everything's up, i was like you know what this was more fun to goldfish than it would actually be in practical experience for me and the way that I play. This would at best be like, I play it one time and then I retire it. And I don't need to work too hard on that. I'll focus on the decks that I know I'm going to play more than just the one time to get what I want out of them. Yeah, that's kind of where I've landed lately too is, I, I remember you both had talked about a year ago about goals for, for this year and you want to brew more decks and maybe play them a time or two. And I just, I don't know, I don't get to play enough that I... I want to build a deck once and then never play it again. I, I want to build a deck and just kind of find out what makes it tick and, and figure out decks. And I, I know it's one of the big things that the three of us disagree on. I, I love solving a deck and knowing I don't need to change it anymore. Whereas though, if you tinker all the time and, and maybe <laughs> if you find yourself not wanting to tinker a deck anymore, that might be a sign for some people that maybe it's time that maybe the deck has run its course. Yeah, I, I remember um, somebody years ago tell, saying about relationships, like just because a relationship ended doesn't mean it wasn't a success. It just came to an end. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, very true of decks. Like just because your deck came to an end doesn't mean it wasn't a success. 
it just didn't stick around forever and didn't last forever, but it doesn't mean it wasn't an enjoyable experience along the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and Matt, I guess one of the complications, you know, you mentioned differences between the ways that you brew versus how we brew. Like when I've finished a deck, optimized a deck, solved the deck or whatever, like your version of that is like, oh, I am happy with how this deck works. I don't need to keep focusing on the new cards that come out and, and worrying about any new stuff to put in this because Raga Draga is really just perfectly happy exactly the way that it is. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. The problem you, is you that, get it. You get it, Joe. Yeah, that's not what it ha that's not how it manifests for me, though. <laughs> for me, it's like, oh, I've solved Kirik. Like for me, like, it's just like, oh, this deck's broken. I have pushed it to the most. And you know what? I just I can't. I my, I play against my family. Like I made the mistake of building a Yidris deck once and I was like, oh, it's not going to be like the most broken version of Yidris, right? Let's try a Voltron. No, it was still ridiculous. And I was just like, oh, no, I have optimized the fun out of this. So that's how it looks for me when I have, quote, solved the commander or I've like finally finished all of that tinkering. So I don't have that piece that you're able to find and I don't know how you're able to find it, man, because I've just got this compulsion to like, oh, I can keep optimizing and tinkering and finding out new stuff because that is a really fun way to engage with the game. But I, I do need to like withdraw a little bit sometimes and realize you know what sometimes some of these are more fun to thought experiment with than they are actually for me to truly manually play in a, in a game um and those are lessons that i've learned the hard way sometimes not only do i not feel about decks the way matt does but like <laughs> 15 seconds after a card is spoiled that i think will work well in my deck i'm already annoyed that my deck is incomplete and doesn't have that card <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> well, that sounds like a personal problem, and uh, I hope you find satisfaction someday. <laughs> Very much so. I am not saying that's a good thing. Well, and I guess that it kind of transitions a little bit into a deck that sometimes people take decks apart because you can't tinker them together. You can't get them to what you want them to be. And for me, I know that I'm going to say something against one of Dana's favorite commanders, but I had a Gliss of the Trader deck for a while that mm. no matter what I did, no matter how many times I would tinker and try to find an angle... I couldn't make the deck do anything that I wanted it to do. And I eventually just got frustrated and just gave up. And honest, like looking back, honestly, it's probably my only truly bad deck that I've ever built. And I, I've had like decks that didn't work, but this one was just, it was bad. And I just, <laughs> I, I had to give up on it. Um, you know, I, I no longer have a Glissa deck, that Glissa Trader deck either, just because I've converted it to Glissa Sunslayer, which does what I wanted the deck to do much better. Um, I enjoyed the Glissa Trader deck, but I was also like not doing what the deck was asking you to do. So I found it, I found successful with that, but I wasn't finding success with it mm -hmm. the way it wanted you to play it. So I know I, I completely understand what you're talking about. And, and for my probably most recent example of a deck that like just that was bad slash didn't work um, was Saravok Deathbringer. Um, it was a commander from Baldur's Gate. At the beginning of each player's end step, if no permanents left the battlefield this turn, that player loses X life, or X is Saravok's power. And it has a background option, so I was running that paired with Raised by Giants, mm. which gives your creature a very large buff. And I'm like, well, I will run a bunch of the Eldrazi, speaking of Eldrazi spawns and scions, between those and treasure tokens, well, it will never ding me. I will always have a something to sacrifice. But my opponents won't always have an option. So, like, you know, I'll, I'll ding them for, you know, 12 or 14 points at the end of each of their turns regularly. Except <laughs> everyone has treasures. Everyone has all of the treasures <laughs> all of the time. I, I think the the five games I played with it, I dealt no damage ever. Oh, man. Because people always had something to sacrifice 
whether it was, you know, just throwing enough creatures at somebody that they would have to block. So something would leave the battlefield or a way to blink something. But almost always, it was almost always treasures, if we're being honest. So the thing that I thought would prevent me from having to take the damage was also the thing that prevented everyone else from taking the damage. It just didn't remotely work at all. Um, and then I just swapped the commander to Chihira and Asian Iron Throne and changed nothing else about the deck. And it absolutely worked fantastic. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes these things are, are fortunate. I, I love the deck now, but with, with Sarvak as a commander with, with Raised by Giants, it didn't do anything at all. And I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. You know, I, okay, listening to your guys' stories, I got to say, I'm starting to feel a little bit self-conscious because you guys are describing, like, these decks are like, ah, oh, I couldn't quite make it work. Whereas, like, a lot of the stuff that I've, like, put down in my notes for this episode were, like, decks that, like, no, I made them work too well. <laughs> like, and they just, like, crushed what other people were hoping to get out of. Like, the next one that was on my list was, like, Crufix. I had a Crufix deck, and, like, there was no version of that deck that I could make that didn't just consume everybody's time. Um, and so I'm starting to, like, really feel a little self-conscious. My, my spiky side is, is kind of coming out on this. I really like building stuff that definitely does the thing, as opposed to going for the challenging uh, stuff that you guys are after. So, um, <laughs> just... Just, just feeling a little bit like hot under the collar right now. Just like, man, I might need to reevaluate the way that I approach deck building, you guys. <laughs> well, I, I would, Joey, I, I think we mentioned this in the past, but I once upon a time had a Tesa Orzhov Scion deck that was built around sacrificing things to make, it was a token deck functionally, mm. um, recurring things that I could repeatedly, repeatedly sacrifice to make tokens. And it was a miserable time suck for everyone at the table. Like it was just the kind of thing that, that took way too long and when you throw in things like Catherine's crusade that were fantastic with that deck that made it that much worse so i i have in fact done that before you are you are not alone solidarity joey i'm here with you i'm not alone <laughs> <laughs> well okay so speaking of solidarity so i know that we've all done things very differently throughout our magic careers but one thing i know all three of us have actually done maybe not together, but we've done it, is we all had an Edgar Markov deck at some point in time. Oh, yeah. So why did you all take those apart? Because I, I know why I took mine apart, but I'm, I, I want to know yours. So uh, this is one of my earliest memories of interacting with Matt. <laughs> um, I don't think we were doing the cast yet, but we were st we were writing for EDH Rec. I remember this conversation, yeah. And a bunch of people were excited about the deck. And I remember you and I were like, no, that's... You're, you're building it wrong. You should have a bunch of cheap, <laughs> terrible vampires in there that you can play to generate as wide of a board fit as you can. It's going to be so much better than running like these big five and six drops. And, and you and I were the ones that were very much on board with that immediately. Um, the problem with that, and that is a much, I, I maintain that's the best way to build Edgar Markov if, you, if you're building a creature deck is to be able to cast as many small things as possible to generate as wide of a board as you can. That's not very fun, <laughs> running no. a bunch of bad one and two drop vampires. The big beater vampires are much cooler, um, but I could never get past that mental block where I'm like, I, I'm playing a much worse version of the deck when I'm running the cool vampires, but if I'm playing the better version of the deck, I'm not running the cool vampires. That's the whole point of running a vampire deck. Um, so I, like, I, I could never make those two things happen simultaneously in a way that I was happy with. On top of that, this was back in the day when we were getting way less cards, and everyone had an Edgar Markov deck. So like I'd, I'd go into a shop and there was like six different Edgar decks being played simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I also, that I didn't love that. So, so those were the two reasons that, that uh, Edgar 
was staked unceremoniously at the bottom of his coffer. <laughs> uh, I mean, everyone still does have an Edgar Markov deck. That guy's got 16,000 yeah, sure. decks. He's rank number eight of, of the, all the commanders. So like, yeah, still wildly popular. Um, but yeah, uh, to go with the solidarity here, that's kind of the, the thing that I ran into. I had this deck for longer than I think you guys did, but I did, like, I had wanted to play like the Butchers of Malakirs, mm -hmm. and instead the deck felt like, well, what you really want to play is the Shadow Alley Denizens. Right. And it's like, but that's not what, that's not what I had wanted. That's, I wasn't looking for just like all of these Optima, one, one, one. I was just like, where's my big vampires? Uh, so that does make me happy when they came out with like Strephon, for example, in Crimson Vow, where like that is another type of, uh, vampire deck that actually is focused on cheating vampires into play through the use of like sacrificing blood tokens i think and so that one actually does encourage you to play the great big vampires mm -hmm. that edgar <laughs> eventually was like I, i'm not really doing any of those so i do appreciate those differences in, in the types of designs that have followed in the vampire oeuvre over time but yeah yeah edgar was just one of those things where it's just like whoa you know what I, I, the thing that i thought i was going to get out of this turns out uh, i can't not build this thing busted <laughs> so right, i yeah. think maybe maybe i might need to recuse myself here yeah yeah i mean it was just it was such an easy kind of face roll type of build just yeah just put in the the worst cards imaginable <laughs> but edgar's gonna make them great and it was it, yeah it was frustrating to build because you knew what you wanted to do but you just you, again we talk about how you would kneecap yourself in order to make a deck fun but really why don't you just find a different commander that makes what you want to do fun? And another deck where Catherine's Crusade is fantastic and also not a prickly fun card to play. No, absolutely <laughs> not. But at the same time, I am also grateful for some of those experiences with it. Eventually, I did, you know, take that deck apart. Mm -hmm. But that was one of those decks that, for example, introduced me to the card Mercadia's Downfall, which I've used on Challenge of Stats ages and ages and ages ago. But like that was especially potent in a deck that was making that many tokens. Mercadia's Downfall is that red instant uh, for three mana. Attacking creatures get plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the number of non-basic lands the defending player controls. Like I've cast that and I've totally gotten just a plus six and like this card has been so lethal and that's one of my favorite red spells so like even though the actual commander deck itself isn't necessarily with me i do have like little mementos from that experience that maintain themselves in my future deck building to this day and i think that's a nice little takeaway for us to have that there are little memories and sometimes mementos and cards that we will be taking with us from those experiences so it's a good thing that we did have those experiences yeah my edgar takeaway card was minions murmurs same thing it was a, it's a card that draws you for each creature you control and very often after i'd emptied my hand on turn four with all those chief vampires i could play minions murmurs and draw nine cards yeah you know, fantastic and, and it's a card that i still have in my arsenal to this day but i found it because of that deck so it's a deck that you know didn't stick around that long but both taught me a lesson and introduced me some sets of cards that i still play today oh see see that's a much better and original card than mine because mine is just gonna be perforos god of forge <laughs> um, <laughs> turns out that's really good when you make a lot of tokens i'm cutting really deep here i know um but yeah your, your cards are much more interesting than mine no honestly that actually makes me feel better turns out matt you do have that optimized streak in you after all so i i ha I, I have been known to optimize yes yeah yeah so that's cool but no i think it's just a uh, kind of nice like sort of reflecting on a lot of the commanders that we've discussed so far there there were some that we took apart because we couldn't make them work but a whole lot of the ones that we named are ones that like it turns out the experience the 
variety, the novelty, and particularly the joy of other players was a really big focus. Like over the course of playing EDH, we all just kind of like swerve back to this moment of just like, I want to make sure my opponents are enjoying what they're playing against. I want to build decks that even I would enjoy losing to is a way that you phrased it in the past, Matt. And I think that a lot of that is pretty evident looking over our commander deck graveyards. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think that's also another nice note to sort of end this one on. And Matt, you mentioned there might be one. Uh, Mayel, I think you mentioned that maybe mm -hmm. we'll see a resurgence. Maybe she might come back in the future. Maybe. It, I mean, it, looking back, it's it's a like I said, it's a deck that I enjoyed a lot. It still does the exact same things that I like to do. My only concern is it would probably have a lot of overlap with Vivictus the Dire. Uh, but oh yeah, I mean, if you like something, why not have two? That's kind of my question. Well, I mean, you know, I have so many graveyard decks, Matt. So I fundamentally just that, fully that is agree. true. That is true. <laughs> all right, you, you convinced me. I'll, we'll probably yeah. we'll probably put it back together with like all of the old bordered just nonsense bad cards. <laughs> spear Spearbreaker Behemoth. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. Well, and plenty of these decks also later turned into other decks that we do enjoy a whole bunch. And so mm -hmm. that was another important, like we learned lessons from these that carried forward into our commander careers when we found new commanders to lead them, as you guys were talking about. And, and Dana, I'm just kind of curious whether any of uh, your old decks may zombify themselves in the future too. Doesn't seem like it, but you know, I'm, I'm a holdout hope. We'll see, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, I mentioned how I, I converted my Glissa Trader deck to a Glissa Sunslayer deck. I, I've, I now have rebuilt Glissa in more of a traditional way because I just wanted to have all four Glissa decks. So so I have <laughs> done that. I, I I kind of, the the basic concept from from that um, Anex deck became that Calfe deck. But I also have a have an Agnes Mono Red deck that plays like a, the version of that Anex deck was supposed to. So like I haven't necessarily, I'm not going to probably go back and, and try to rebuild Tesa or South Scion, but concepts tend to visit, visit themselves more than the actual commanders. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, it sounds like your decks are like sort of splitting into two. <laughs> I, I mean, sometimes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah your decks just keep multiplying and multiplying is really <laughs> the, what the, the thing I, is. The, so, the, Despite having no Hydro decks, somehow you cut off one head and two grow back. <laughs> <laughs> that right there is the commander experience. Yep. <laughs> Cut one deck and then you build two more. Exactly. Oh my word. That is totally the commander experience. All right. Well, this was really fun to look over those parts of our commander deck history. Listeners, we've got to hear from you about NDX that you used to have. Why did you take them apart? What did they turn into? Any lessons that you learned from that? We've got to hear from you on this one. But with that, we will call this episode to a close. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, fellas, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me pretty much on anywhere social media can be found uh, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we do stream Wednesdays over at twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST, playing games with great guests, and it's always a super fun time. So tune in for that, too. And Dana. You can find me on the interwebs at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Tracking Commanders Herald, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me most commonly on like, I don't know, Instagram, maybe at Joseph M. Schultz. And you can find the cast at EDH Retcast everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find Chase online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>